One of my favorite public speakers uh, is a guy named Tony Campolo. Anybody ever heard of him? Okay, well, I see some hands going up. He's Baptist, uh, and, uh, but he loves to be with Pentecostals. And he tells the story, which I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to read it. Cause he, if you know Tony, he's just funny. He's funny to be around. He's always humorous. And he tells this funny story about a time when he heard God speak. So uh, he begins this way. He says, uh, okay, I'm not going to laugh. I promise. Loki, uh, he, he talks about being... He's, in, uh, he's a seminary professor at Eastern Theological Seminary, but he's also a Baptist preacher. He travels all over the world speaking, and he's invited to speak at chapel at a little Pentecostal school that's close to the seminary where he speaks in Philadelphia, and, uh, or where he teaches. And he says, I love going to this little school because the people there seem to be so in touch with the power of the Holy Spirit. Before the chapel service, several of the faculty members took me into a side room to pray with me. I got down on my knees, and the six of them put their hands on my head and prayed for me, asking the Holy Spirit to fill me up and use me effectively as I spoke to the students. Pentecostals seem to pray longer and with more dynamism than we Baptists do. These men prayed long, and the longer they prayed, the more they leaned on my head. They prayed on and on and leaned harder and harder. One of them kept whispering, do you feel the Spirit? Do you feel the Spirit? To tell the truth, I felt something like pressure on the back of my neck, but I wasn't sure I was feeling the Spirit. One of the faculty members prayed at length about a particular man named Charlie Stoltzfels. That kind of ticked me off, and I thought to myself, if you're going to lean on my head, the least you can do is pray for me. He prayed on and on for this guy who was about to abandon his wife and three children. I can still hear him calling out, to the Lord. Don't let that man leave his wife and children. Send an angel to bring that man back to his family. Don't let that family be destroyed. You know who I'm talking about, Lord. You know I'm talking about Charlie Stolzfultz. Uh, he lives just down the road a mile and on the right side in a silver house trailer. And I thought to myself with some degree of exasperation, God knows where this guy lives. What do you think God's doing? Sitting up there asking Peter about an address? Following the chapel service, I got in my car and headed home. I was getting on the Pennsylvania Turnpike when I saw a young man hitchhiking on the side of the road. I picked him up. I know you're thinking right now I'm not supposed to uh, pick up hitchhikers, but I'm a Baptist preacher, and wherever I can get somebody locked in where I can preach to him, I'll do it. So as we pulled back onto the highway, I introduced myself, and I said, Hi, my name's Tony Campolo. What's your name? And he said, You know, don't you? He said, my name is Charlie Stoltzfeldt. I didn't say a word. I drove down the turnpike, got off at the next exit, turned around and headed back. When I did that, he looked at me and said, hey, mister, where are you taking me? I said, well, I'm taking you home. He said, why? He said, well, because you just left your wife and three children. Right? And Charlie looked at me and said, right, right. He leaned against the passenger door the rest of the way home, staring at me. I drove off the turnpike and onto the side road, straight to the Silver House trailer. When I pulled into the drive, he looked at me with astonishment and said, How did you know where I lived? He said, God told me. Well, Tony says, I believe that God did tell me. I think God may have set up things like that just for fun. I mean, if you're God, you're probably having a pretty sad time of looking down at all the things that are going on in the world, 
I can just imagine God nudging Peter with his elbow and saying, hey, Pete, watch this. I told Charlie, you get in that house trailer right now because I want to talk to you and I want to talk to your wife. He ran into the mobile home ahead of me. I don't know what he said to his wife, but when I got in the house trailer, her eyes were as big as saucers. I sat them down and said, I'm going to talk to you and you're going to listen. Man, did they listen. And during the next hour, I led them both into a personal relationship with Jesus. Today, that guy is a Pentecostal preacher in the southern United States. When the Spirit leads, there are all kinds of surprises in store for us. You and I have both heard many times, and I do it myself, saying, God spoke to me, or God told me this, or God told me that. Um, in fact, it might be so familiar that we don't think about what it was like when we first heard somebody say it. Uh, I remember very well when that was totally out of my context and I didn't understand when somebody said, God spoke to me or I heard God's voice. In fact, if a skeptic heard you say it today or me, they wouldn't believe that you actually heard God's voice or they would at least think that you were talking about his audible voice and they might challenge you on that. In my late teens, when I didn't understand, well, I probably believe God spoke to Abraham and Moses and to Paul and to Peter, but certainly not today and certainly not to me. When I did find out that he speaks to us, I became a passionate, hungry learner that raced after God. My first test, I actually do remember my first test of trying to hear God's voice in a very serious situation, serious to me anyway. It had to do with life assignment. Um, I was a new Christian. I was uh, my first year at Wichita State University. Hadn't declared a major. Didn't know what direction I was going to go in life. Was sensing somewhat of the call of God. But my passion and my love was the outdoors. I didn't know you all were going to talk about creation and the stars and the mountains and the lake and everything. But that's what I absolutely loved. As an Eagle Scout, I just loved being outside. And... Uh, it had entered my heart the idea that I would go and major in forestry, range, and wildlife management. I had this dream of, of just being in the woods all my life. And I got over a spring break, I got an opportunity to go to Utah State University with another family and see what their program was all about and look at the uh, program that the master students were doing, studying the wildlife up in the mountains by Logan, Utah. And so I asked mom about it, and, you know, the trip would cost money. It would take time. I would be gone. So we sat down. I remember sitting down at the kitchen table and praying, and we were going to do the thing, you know, where you just, you open it up, and wherever it falls, you read a verse, and you hope to hear from God. And Except we didn't have a Bible. We had one of those little bread of life things in the center of the table where all the scriptures are in it. So we were going to pray, and I was going to draw scripture. And we prayed. And we prayed and we prayed, and then I drew a scripture. And the scripture I drew was Daniel 12, 3. And uh, I think maybe we have that up there so you can see it. Daniel 12, 3. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. When I saw that verse, I thought God spoke to me because I saw the brightness of the heavens, and I saw the stars forever and ever. I didn't see the part about becoming wise 
or leading people to righteousness. I just saw the heavens and the stars. So uh, I paid my money, and I went on my trip to Utah State University. The end of the story is when I came back, I knew I wasn't supposed to be there. And the farther end of the story is, is to what the verse said spoke to me, but I just missed what God said on that occasion. So breakthroughs came to me as I started understanding that God speaks by His Spirit through His Word. And I will tell you seriously, it was after I was baptized with the Holy Spirit that I began to understand not only through His Word, but through His Spirit, He began speaking to me. So we started this journey with the Lord, and I want to take that journey with you over the next three weeks, today and the next two weeks, as we move into December. The scriptures say that God's voice is like the sound of many waters. God's voice is like the sound of many waters. Uh, that made sense to me when I saw that because of the outdoors and my love for it. And these are passages you may or may not be familiar with. His voice is like the quiet stillness of a mountain lake, Psalm 23, 2. You know that? He leads me beside where? Still waters. His voice is like the thunder of Niagara. 3,160 tons of water per second go over Niagara Falls. 750,000 gallons crashing down the thunder. And it says in Psalm 29.3 that the Lord thunders over the mighty waters. Or his voice is like the pitter-patter of the winter and the spring rains. In Hosea chapter 6 and verse 3, it says, He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. Or his voice is like the rushing water of a mighty river. Where it says in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 15b, in NIV, his voice is like the sound of rushing water. There is in Scripture, when you study it, something called the law of first reference. And it means that the very first time something is alluded to in the Bible is a teaching point for you. It's foundational to your understanding of kingdom principles. And when God first speaks, it's in Genesis chapter 1. And he speaks in Genesis 1, 2 and 3 right there, that passage where uh, he's, you know, the, the world is dark and, and void. And uh, it says, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering, fluttering over the waters. And God said, I'm being quiet on purpose. The Spirit was fluttering, hovering. And God said. It says in the book of Revelation, seven times, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. God speaks by his word and he speaks by his spirit. He might send you an angel. Or like Lindsay, he might send a vision. Or like Ramona, he, he might send you an impression he might give you a dream. He might speak through nature. He might send a prophet. But when God speaks, his spirit is always speaking because God is spirit. And so you have the word of God, the Bible, which is the written word, and you have the Holy Spirit, and together they become that two-edged sword that the scriptures refer to. I'd like you to just look quickly at 2 Timothy 3.16, verse A, where it says, all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. We, we get 
so used to the Bible, we just think it's printer's ink on a page. It's really not just printer's ink on a page. This book has been the best-selling, this, this library of books, 66 books, has been the best-selling library of books in the history of humankind. And even though it has been outlawed and burned and banned, it hasn't just survived, it has thrived. Because it's not printer's ink on a page. It's because it is living and it is spirit. God has breathed his life into it. Look at John 6.63, another passage. The spirit gives life, but the flesh counts for nothing. The words that I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. So when, when you get a promise from God, you're really hearing the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And look at Ephesians 6, 1, uh, or Ephesians 6, 17. The sword, he's talking about the armor of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I know I might be speaking to the choir this morning, but please be cautious. Don't become nonchalant or casual about the Bible, the Word of God. The Word of God is the voice of God. So if you can take the Word of God, the written Word, remember that the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And you add to that uh, keeping in step with the Spirit, as Paul says in Galatians, or being led by the Spirit, or living in the Spirit, as Paul says. You end up with this two-edged sword, which the Bible refers to on at least two occasions. And it's the Word and the Spirit cooperating together. The Word and the Spirit. When you go to battle, you don't want to go to battle with a sword that's only got one sharpened edge on it because you'll cut this way, and then you have to draw back and cut again. And if you think of those Braveheart things where people, you know, those big battles where everybody's all around you, front of you, beside you, on behind you, and you've got this sword, you don't want to have to swing and then recock it and swing again and recock it. You want to be able to cut left. You want to be able to cut right, left, right, left, right. You want to have a two-edged sword. The Spirit and the Word cooperating together. I had an experience where the Spirit and the Word cooperated together and God spoke to me. I was in the state of New York preaching in a church for the first time. And uh, it was the evening before. I was in the hotel room. I've shared this once before here and so some of you have probably heard it. But uh, I had... You had a vision, Lindsay, so did I. I'm not given to visions. I don't have many visions, but I was asleep at night. This was not a dream. This was a vision, and it was full technicolor, and I saw the face of a man so clearly that when I woke up, even though I didn't know him and I didn't have a name, it was just stamped in my mind, and during the vision... As I saw the face of the man, the Spirit began to speak word to me. Like John 15 and like, first, like Philippians 1.6. And so anyway, I get up. I go to church the following morning. Uh, this particular pastor still was doing things the old way where the pastor and guest speaker sat on the platform. Remember those? That was a long time ago. They sat on the platform and you faced the congregation. And so church was about ready to start. Most of the seats were filled in the audience. 
And just before the service began, in walks a couple from the back. And they walk all the way down to the front and sit on the second row. Nobody in church sits on the front row, hardly ever. So it's the second row where they sat, right on the aisle. And I saw them walking down there, and I thought, oh, me, there he is. There he is. So now I had a decision to make. Do I give him this word that God gave me in the vision publicly? Or do I wait till after the service, hope I can catch him and share it with him privately? I was in a strange church. I knew the pastor, but I didn't know anybody in the church. And uh, you talk about faith and risk. Uh, this was similar to a word of knowledge, which is different than a word of wisdom in the nine gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. Um, the word of knowledge is the first one listed. It's, and usually it's facts about somebody's life in the present or about something in the past. Word of wisdom is for the future. And so I decided to just stand up to the platform when they called me to preach. And before I preached, I said, uh, before I give you my text and preach my sermon, I want you to know that during the night I had a vision of a man. I told the story of what happened in the dream. And then I looked down to this man and I said, sir, I don't know you, but you are the man in the vision. And God wants you to know. And I quoted the scriptures to him verbatim as God gave them to me about the call of God and about God knew where he was today and that he didn't need to worry. God was answering his prayer. After the service was over, you know, a lot of people come up to you and greet you and want to talk to you and want you to pray for them. It turns out that as I was leaving the church, they stayed and waited. And he said, Pastor Farmer, he said, I haven't been in a church for years. He said, my wife and I came back one last time. I even brought my Bible with me. We came back one last time to see if God even knew where we were, if God knew what was going on in our life. And he was weeping. And before he left, he, he actually gave me a little pinch pin to put on my leaf of my Bible or on a lapel with a dove on it that he just wanted me to remember him. And he just thanked me for obeying the Lord. The Word and the Spirit cooperating together as you speak. I mentioned to you that the baptism of the Holy Spirit made such a huge difference in my life as it relates to hearing God because God's voice is the voice of the Spirit. And Dr. Jack Hayford makes this point when he talks in his notes in the Spirit-filled Bible about Acts chapter 1, 4 to 8. And I'd like to bring that up so you can look at it. Acts chapter 1, 4 to 8. On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with the disciples, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem. Don't go out and obey the Great Commission yet. I've got something else for you. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my father, my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John, meaning John the Baptist, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? You, you know, it's a little humorous. It's like they didn't hear what he said. They asked him a question about the future, and he's saying, I'm wanting to talk to you about something you have to receive to go out in ministry. So what's the last verse says? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power. 
when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So this is what Dr. Hayford says, and I'm actually quoting from his notes in the Spirit-Filled Life Bible, where he says this, after Jesus' resurrection, the disciples asked Jesus if the ultimate messianic kingdom would come. Jesus replied, it is not yours to know the future, but it is yours to receive the Spirit's power. And with those words, Jesus made three points. Point one, the Holy Spirit is the person in the power which will give you the ability to serve and to share in the kingdom of God. Point two, the Holy Spirit's power must be received. It is not automatic. It doesn't come with your salvation experience. And point three, when Holy Spirit does come upon you and fills you to overflowing, you're going to know it. When Holy Spirit immerses you, clothes you, and baptizes you, then go and make disciples of all nations. It's interesting. Now, this is I'm done with Dr. Hayford's comments. It's interesting about the baptism of the Holy Spirit because many of us that are Pentecostal and charismatic, we think of it as being what in Latin they call the summum bonum, which means the highest good or the, the most noble object of desire. Like it's, it's the top dog. It's the, you know, it's the pinnacle. When you've got that, you've got everything. Actually, I refer to the baptism of the Holy Spirit as sort of the kindergarten of, of beginning to hear God's voice and ascending in your spirit back to God. And I want to walk you through this uh, journey. I want to go to Genesis 126a and have you look at that real quickly. Then God said, this is when he's creating mankind, creating men and women. And God said, let us make mankind in our image. What does that mean? It means you are different than all other creatures on earth. You are distinct. You are unique. You are created in God's likeness, created to rule, as we read later, created to rule and have dominion in the earth. Animals have bodies, okay? And animals have souls. I'm going to define a soul for you as mind, emotion, and will. That's important. That's really important. You know where I'm going, Andrew. I see Andrew's eyes smiling under the mask. You know, the mask goes up under the nose, but I can see his eyes smiling. This was a life-changing revelation to me when I got my arms, actually when my spirit embraced what I'm about to share with you. Animals do have a mind. Animals do have emotions. And animals do have a will. You have a mind, emotion, and will. That's our, in the Greek, our tsuke. That's our soul. Our self-consciousness. But what's the difference between how God made man and how he made us? The difference made in his image and his likeness is that we are not bipartite, we are tripartite. We are body, soul, and spirit. And it says in Genesis 2-7, the Lord God breathed into Adam's nostrils and the breath of life came in him. He became a living being quickened by the spirit of God's breath, by his spirit. Now, I'd like to read to you a short quote from Jesse Penn Lewis's book on soul and spirit. Jesse Penn Lewis writes this, ignorance of distinction between soul and spirit is a primary cause of lack of spiritual growth in Christians. It is a serious problem that they are treated as synonyms. 
In the realm of the soul, the devil counterfeits the work of the spirit with such perfection that we begin to use it as the true life and spirit and practice of, of what the Holy Spirit wants to accomplish. Now, if we would take the time to dress that in denim, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, it, it's just huge. So much of what you experience in institutional religion and traditional Christianity is born out of the soul and not out of the spirit. You can go to church week after week after week and engage God with your mind, your intellect, engage him with your emotions, engage him with your will, and never really encounter God in a genuine, authentic way because God is spirit and you are spirit and that's how he communicates. That's how he talks. Spirit to spirit. And then the soul becomes the handmaiden of the spirit. You see, your soul is the bridge between the body and the spirit. When God made you, the highest part of your being was your spirit. That part of you created in the likeness of God. And then the soul could serve either the spirit or the flesh, the body, the soma in Greek. That's your decision, whether your mind, emotions, and will will serve the spirit or serve the body. That's your call. You can make that decision. And which part has dominion in us? Which part rules in us? You can walk through, you know people that walk through life and they're carnal, they're flesh-oriented. That's, that's what they do and what they think about. You know other people that are very soulish. Tsukikos in the Greek. Sensual. Jude translates, translates it as sensual. But it means soulish or animal-natured, mind, emotion, and will. You know people that are, it's all about intellectualism and man's wisdom. You know people that are all about emotions. They're lightning rods. Sometimes they're flaky. You know, they're all about emotions. And then you know people that are all about will, strong will, and, and got to have my way, and this, this, and that. But what it's all about is discerning the difference between the soul and the spirit so the spirit can have dominion and rule. Now, just in case you think I'm a quack, and this is not real, I'd like you just to refer to a couple scriptures where it shows in the Bible the difference between the soul and the spirit. So let's begin with Mary in Luke chapter 1, 46 and 47. Luke chapter 1, 46 and 47. Mary had this beautiful song, and she says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Two different Greek words. Then let's go to Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit. I'll just stop there. And 1 Thessalonians 5.23b, this is uh, where Paul is actually uh, doing a benediction for the believers at Thessalonica. And he says, I, I memorized it uh, in the old King James where, may the God of peace sanctify you wholly and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord. Even though most Christians interchange these words as though they're the same, they are not the same. If you want to hear God speak, if you want to hear God's voice, it is the spirit that needs to be groomed 
and acquainted with the Lord. It is the Spirit. Our spirit hears God. After the fall, we turned upside down. It, it used to be spirit, soul, and body. After the fall, we turned upside down, and then it was body, soul, and spirit. And when we're born again, life is breathed into our spirit, but it's still a baby. It's still immature. It is still on the bottom. And it's as the spirit grows, it's as you feed the spirit, as you groom the spirit, as it becomes acquainted with the Lord, um, that's, you know, that's what God wants to do with us. Uh, imagine a staircase with me, if you will, quickly. A staircase with seven steps. As our spirit ascends back to God. You've heard, we've all heard the phrase that Jesus needs to be Lord. Are you aware that Paul said the Spirit needs to be Lord? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 17 to 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 17 to 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Some translations actually say where the Spirit is Lord, there is freedom. Where the spirit of man, where the spirit of God in man, united in union and communion with the spirit of God becomes one. So I want you to imagine this staircase now real quickly. The first step, the beginning step, the foundation, the fundamental key to this walk with God in the spirit is John 4, 4. You already know it. God is spirit. That's where we start. That's the foundation. God is spirit. That's the first step. You have to understand that God is spirit. That's who he is. Step number two. We've just repeated it so we don't have to talk about it. God created you in his likeness. You are spirit too. Come on, let's admit it. We live most of our life in either the five senses or in the mind, emotion, and wills. We live most of our life either with the five senses, which is body, soma, flesh, or in the self-consciousness part of our being. That's where we live life. So God is spirit, step one. Step two, God created you in his likeness, spirit. Step three, we are born again of the spirit. And that's Nicodemus, John chapter three, five to eight. You know the story. He says, everyone that you have to be born of water and of the spirit. And to be birthed in the spirit, to be born again, is just really the preschool of discipleship in our journey. It's the starting place in kingdom living. Your spirit is revived with life and breath, but it's still immature. This place you are, is, is, you're still body-centered, you're still soul-centered. You're still worldly, which is what 1 Corinthians 3 is all about. You know, Paul spoke to Christians at Corinth, and he says, you're still worldly, you're carnal. The fourth step, I call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Can't emphasize to you enough how important that is. It's the spirit that presses us, moves us, leads us, nudges us, reveals God's will to us. I'd like you to see Luke 2, 25 to 32, when the old man Simeon was in the temple. Remember, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He says, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit. So three times in a row, 
He's there by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit revealed to him that he'd see the Lord's Messiah. Now he's being moved by the Spirit. He went to the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the, ch- the children, and you see the rest of it there. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The sixth step, the gifts of the Spirit. I want, I want to say this to you. It's the fruit of the Spirit that makes your life beautiful. It's the gifts of the Spirit that make your life useful. It's the fruit of the Spirit that makes your life beautiful. It's the gifts of the Spirit that make your life useful. And God doesn't need wallflowers. He doesn't need wallflowers. He doesn't need decoration hanging on the wall or sitting in a church pew. See, not only where we need to hear from God, I admit that. We need to be familiar with the voice of God. His voice is like the sound of many waters. It's not easy always to hear his voice. Sometimes it's loud and it crashes in and there's no doubt, like Paul on the Damascus Road, boom. I mean, you know, bright light thrown off down to his face, you know, and God changes him. He had a Damascus Road experience. That's rare. That's not usually, that's not usually what happens. Usually you have to be a sensitive. My dad, when I was a young boy growing up, about 8 to 10, he bought a, he bought a motel in Colorado, and next to it, it had a, uh, a corral with horses in it. So every time we'd go there to visit, we'd ride horses, and I'd always be given a different horse. And I can tell you that the way you break a horse and how sensitive it is to the reins on the side of a neck is a big deal. When you're a boy 8 or 10, you want a horse that has been trained so well that when that rein just barely touches the hair on his neck, he instantly turns. And that's what God's looking for with his sons and his daughters, to be so sensitive to the Spirit. Like Ramona said, uh, she, you know, you fight it. I can't tell you how many times, you know, you, you hear from God and you fight it. You're not sure. And yet our lives are created to be useful in the kingdom for you to speak and to impact others. So we're not only going to be talking about how we hear from God, but how other people hear God through you. This might sound presumptuous or arrogant or even sacrilegious, but it is the Spirit's intention that you be the voice of the Lord to other people. That's pretty overwhelming, isn't it? To think that you can be the voice of the Lord to other people. But you have to know the author, you have to know the author, and you have to know the Spirit. Let's uh, stand up together, shall we, this morning? I never did get to my text. Can you believe that? My text was in 1 Kings chapter 19 where Elijah was uh, just really having a problem after defeating all the prophets, you know, on Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel, he defeated all the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah. Had this great, big, loud, booming voice from God that swallowed up the water and swallowed up the sacrifice and burned everything around. And Ahab and all of that was defeated. The very next chapter, Jezebel chases him down and he runs for his life. And he's, he, he goes the full length of the nation. 
And he goes to the south, past Beersheba, leaves his servant there, wants to be alone. He's afraid. He's hiding in a cave. He's crying out to God and saying, God, I'm afraid for my life. I'm the only one left in Israel. Nobody's listening to me. God, you're not listening to me. And God says in verse 11 of 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11, and this, was, this is the punchline. He says, Elijah, go stand in the presence of the Lord. I'm going to pass by. Stan, go stand in the presence of the Lord. God wants to pass by. Jamie, go stand in the presence of the Lord. God wants to pass by. Bruce, go stand in the presence of the Lord. God wants to pass by. So there's a big wind. God's not in the wind. There's an earthquake. God's not in the earthquake. I mean, God just spoke. It's the same God spoke out of, you know, the God of fire, the bold God, the big God, the Damascus Road God. There's a wind, there's an earthquake, and there's a fire, and God wasn't in any of them. And then there was what? A gentle whisper, a still, small voice, and God was in that. God doesn't speak the same way to us all the time. Sometimes he speaks to the Elijahs with fire out of heaven, and sometimes he speaks in a gentle whisper in a small voice, and you have to know the difference because there are people around you that may not only go unserved, they may go unsaved, and people can even be hurt because we miss God's voice. Lord, we want to hear your voice. We know you speak through your word. We know you speak by your spirit. We know you speak through creation and nature. We know you speak through dreams and visions. We know you speak, Lord, through prophets, through the gifts of the spirit. You speak through television, through radio, through one another. You, you speak when we least expect you to speak. Lord, we want to know you, to really know you. We want to become acquainted with you and with your voice. And we know it's like the sound of many waters, but we want to be useful in the kingdom of God. People are going down all around us for the third time. Help us to hear your voice. Lord, speak to us, we pray, and make us sensitive to your spirit so that we can change our neighborhood and change Puyallup and Pierce County and see the kingdom of God advance in our neighborhoods. Lord, we want to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, God bless you all. Amen.